Hey everybody and welcome to episode 131 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel we have Alyssa Nichol. Hello, hello. John Papa. Hello there. Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I'm going to just quickly shout out about JS Remote Conf. Go check it out. Uh, we have a special guest this week, and that's Brian Clark. Hey. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick, Brian? Sure. I'm Brian Clark, and uh, I'm a web developer slash architect, and I enjoy focusing on secure application development practices. So what does that mean? What is What is secure? What is secure? <laughs> um, is that just HTTPS and call it a day? No. So it's it's it means when you're building your application, you're taking security into consideration, right? And thinking about all the different aspects that go into that. So things like authentication, authorization, um, yeah, certificates and HTTPS, making sure your network traffic is secure. Um, you know, things like that. So you're like a big fan of PWAs? Uh, sure. Sure. I, to be honest, I haven't dove too deep into them, but I know what they are and, you know, learned a right. little bit. I just about know them. on their checklist, they're big on, it must be on HTTPS. And so I was like, oh, he must be a PWA fan. But okay, sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, every <laughs> everything's pushing for HTTPS nowadays, you know, like with the effort of like Let's Encrypt where they're, giving you certificates to help it make it easier for everyone to get certificates and establish HTTPS connections, things like that. Is there ever a reason to not? I mean, like, honestly, like, is it just laziness or? At this point, no. What it used to be was like, people had this conception that it would slow things down, but it's mm. super fast now. And uh, there's really, I don't see, I haven't, I don't, I'm not aware of any detriments of really doing everything HTTPS. The only other thing that I've seen that has come up is really, really, and I'm talking really, really old browsers, uh, didn't always have the encryption algorithms that you needed. And uh, a lot of the websites out there, modern websites use modern encryption algorithms that the really, really old browsers didn't know. Like Netscape? Yeah. <laughs> Still using that one, Chuck? <laughs> You know me. <laughs> I have to build it from source now, but yes. Oh, man. What's wrong with that? Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Conf. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from the Freelancer Show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremoteconf.com. So. so whenever, Brian, you say authentication, what do you mean by that? Are you talking about like, whenever I hear authentication, I just go to like two-factor and I better get out my phone. So what I mean by that is someone being able to identify themselves essentially so that you, I'm sure you've seen before, like using cookies as a form of authentication. It's a way of saying, um, this is who I'm presenting myself as right mm. within it, whether it be a system or a user, what have you. So it's, it's a way to present yourself to whatever it is you're trying to talk to. Okay. And then on top of that, yeah, there would be things where you would, you know, 
the typical approach would be a username and password to establish your identity and say, I'm authenticating as Brian Clark. But maybe a lot of systems nowadays take it a step further where they could send you a text message to your personal phone that you set up or your email, things like that. And that's where the two-factor or multi-factor authentication would come in. And before the show, we were talking about it a little bit, and you said you're not a fan of authenticating, or you are a fan? No, that's just John <laughs> taking my words. And, you know. <laughs> so what I try, because there's a lot of focus in the industry around like what they're teaching about authentication and authorization, how to do this in this technology and this platform and whatnot, right? Um, and I, I think that's really important. It's it's a huge piece to all of it. But to me, there's other security thing considerations to take uh, that will really undermine whatever framework you may put in place for your authentication authorization. So, so Brian, before before we get into those details of that one, I think it'd be a good place to pause here real quick to say that, yeah, we, we both believe in things like JWTs and tokens and authentication authorization. But you had a talk that you have been putting together lately, which kind of will help explain your passion around the other things that you're about to talk about, right? So what, what does that talk like really go into? It's because it goes beyond just, you know, yeah, you logged in and you have this ability. Yeah, so the talk uh, uses this vulnerable app that I built uh, using Hot Towel. So it's with Angular and Node. And um, it, it uses both mechanisms for authentication, whether it be a JWT, and you're passing that as a header, and uh, a cookie. And it shows, in that vulnerable application, it shows things like cross-site scripting, cross-site request forgery, um, to point out that those type of vulnerabilities in your application can really undermine those forms of authentication that you're using in authorization, right? So cross-site scripting, I can inject arbitrary code into your web application or, uh, and then extract and use that to my advantage to extract information, exfiltrate that information. So something like the tokens that you might be using to establish authentication, right? And then once I get my hands on that, that whole framework that you had in place to say, I am, you know, Brian Clark, it doesn't matter anymore because somebody can act on my behalf. They've gotten that information to use and plug it into the system that they're, you know, their end of the deal. Uh, so so most, most people there, Brian, don't really think that that kind of a thing is very high of a risk, though, right? So should people be concerned about that or should well, they just go ahead? So I don't I don't know that they don't think it's that much of a risk. I think that if you think about it, you sit down, uh, you're starting a new project and your project manager is like, we need to have security in place. I think the most and this was my for me early on in my career. The first thing I would think of, I, I need to have a login form so I can establish who's getting into the system, who wants to get into my system, and then protect the endpoints and whatnot to make sure that whoever's logged in, they have the right permission to do so. So that's like always the, at least to me, from what I've seen in my experience, the main focal point when it comes to security, and people aren't necessarily aware of these other things, right? And so that's where my talk, I kind of bring those to light and try to raise awareness around those other vulnerabilities that are potentially in your applications now or when you're building them. So cross-site scripting is one of those things that some people do, but not all do. Most of the apps that I see, very honest with you, outside of my or where I work, a lot of them are helping do authentication authorization, but they don't touch cross-site scripting at all. Yeah. Yep. So well, that's why I, I'm trying to bring that to light. I'm trying to share that more. At least that's 
you know, where I've been focusing lately is sharing the information around that to uh, let people know that these are the things that you should be thinking about in addition to authentication and authorization. I, I want to ask though, because I talked to some people about this stuff, you know, cross-site scripting and, uh, you know, you also have different types of SQL injection or, you know, other code injection, JavaScript injection. Um, uh, I mean, for the most part, it seems like that's backend concerns, right? Is what I hear. So your backend should make sure that that stuff isn't happening. Your backend shouldn't accept cross-site attacks. And so the front end developers start thinking, well, then I don't have to worry about it. And then the, the cookies and the security there, it's like, well, doesn't the browser take care of that for me? And so people get into the space where it's Angular or some other front end system and they're going, so do I really need to care? Isn't that somebody else's job? So I would say it's really everybody's job at every layer of the application to do because uh, the way to the way to mitigate things of like injection that you're talking about SQL injection you would do in the database layer you do validation right the input that's coming in you do something maybe like uh, parameter parameterize SQL queries and things like that but ultimately you want to sanitize and validate the input the user provided input to ensure that it is up to par with your expectations it's not something malicious right so that's where you would start out, but it should would be you, happening. Would you, Brian, I mean, do you think a lot of people should be doing that? Like, like specifically you're talking about if there's an email field or a, or a name field or something like that, you want to make sure that in your node layer or your ASP.NET layer or whatever you're using, that you're making sure that the data you got from the client is actually in the same format that you expect it to be in. Do you think yeah, that's I mean, valuable? Well, I, I think that's valuable depending on the level of security you really need in your system. You have to strike a balance right between these things. But the reason why I say it's beneficial to have it in the multiple layers is you don't know uh, where an attacker might be coming from. Maybe they're coming through your UI to get to your system, but maybe they're bypassing that altogether and going direct. They found the connection to your database and they try talking to your database directly, right? They're, they're bypassing any uh, input sanitization and checking that you're doing at your node layer that's ta normally talking to your database and going directly to it. So if you take that into consideration, if you didn't, if you only did it, let's say in the node layer, and then I'm able to talk to your database directly, I've bypassed your security you put in place there, right? So are you saying, I'm following you, and if I take this step further, are you saying that it's important to make sure that because somebody could be attacking you either through the UI or let's say your node layer or uh, a Java layer or a database that you're protected at every layer? Yeah, sorry, I went on mute for a second there. Yeah, so I think it's beneficial to do that. But again, I'm not saying, I don't want to say like it's a hard and fast rule. That's the only way to do it. You have to, there's there's give and take with that, right? If it makes sense. Uh, maybe your network is a little bit more hardened and difficult to get to, uh, to where they would get access directly to your database. And there's other security constraints around your database in order to execute queries against and things like that, right? So it's... Well, it depends on the balance that you need. This is one of those things that Ward and I have talked about a lot where we, we harp on uh, one of our sayings is when you have validation inside the UI, like with Angular, that's really more of a user experience type thing. And then you also want to do that down at your other layer. Let's say it's Node because that's my choice at the layer right below that for the server. Because 
and the UI, you want to make sure that somebody is entering a form, you know, they, they get instant feedback on what they're doing that's maybe invalid. You forgot a field that was required. You put an invalid entry into a date or something like that. But you also don't want to rely on that as your security layer because then somebody, as you said, could bypass that UI in Angular. It's not Angular's fault, right? It's you have some hacker coming in and they go directly to your node layer. You want to make sure that layer itself is also looking to make sure that it's validating the data or whatever your layer is below on the server. So I do believe that that's a, it's a good thing to do. There's user experience and then there's real security. And I don't think there's a lot of, in this case at least, a lot of real security you can do in the browser. A lot of these things, as Chuck pointed out, you're actually doing them at that layer right below there, like even cross-site scripting, right? Yeah, and that's exactly where I was going to go with next. So we were talking about SQL and then uh, going to the node layer and then UI. You, you, you beat me to it there. So yeah, but, but the thing is, is yeah, I said that the back end's a concern. But the thing is, is that if you can run that validation on the front end before it even hits the back end, then the user gets immediate feedback. So it is actually better user experience to put the security into the front end where you can. Um, you know, you also for cross-site scripting, there's usually some kind of token or something that's passed between the front end and the back end. So it is yeah. a front end concern. So, you know, I was kind of tongue in cheek saying, well, not my problem. But the reality is, is that it is your problem. Again, it, it's the same thing with like encrypted cookies and stuff. Well, the cookie contains some information that your front end has to be able to figure out. And so if you write your code in such a way to where it doesn't expose certain secrets, then you know you're you're doing it better, and so yes, you you do need to be aware. A lot of these concerns, you need the checks on the front end and the back end. Yep. But the reality is, is that yes, it is your problem, and it is something that you need to be thinking about. Yeah, I think security is one of the things you can't just say, "Hey, not my problem." Right? It's something everybody has to be aware of. Uh, and Brian, you've got a whole document. I'm going to plug you since you're not plugging you on this. You have helped co-author. Something in the Angular docs about security, did you not? Ooh. Yes, I did. Of course I'm not going to plug myself. Come on, John. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just not in me, man. I don't know. Um, but yeah, since you bring it up, uh, I did help out with uh, at least writing the initial draft of the security documentation on Angular, the, the oh. new Angular I.O. site. And I'm scanning through it. There's like OWASP guide stuff there, which obviously is very popular if you know anything about security. How to, how to report vulnerabilities to Angular, uh, trusting safe values, preventing cross-site scripting, HTTP level vulnerabilities. There's actually code examples here too. Uh, I'd love to hear about what does Angular do for us out of the box to help with security? I keep thinking that I'm going off mute and then I put myself on mute. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> what, what Angular does is it's, it's nice in that it's doing that input validation for you. Right. And so let's talk a little bit more about input validation, what that means. There's really, well, input handling, rather. There's three types of it. There's input validation, sanitization, and escaping. I almost forgot that last one. And so Angular is helping you, at least in the UI side, to accomplish those things automatically with the binding that it has built into it. Um, so instead of you having to do these checks of like an email is an email or uh, there isn't any type of script injection happening in this input, uh, Angular helps you do that. And in fact, in order for you, like the vulnerable app demo that I have, it's built with Angular 1. Um, and I actually had to turn off these mechanisms in order to demonstrate a lot of the stuff that I show in my talk that I've done. Uh, so that's the nice thing about 
that's a great benefit of Angular out of the box that it's it's coming with that in mind and trying to help you so that you don't even really need to think about it, making security a little bit more simple. And I was just reading about something here, I, which honestly, I hadn't read this before. So I'd love to pick your brain on it. There's some features in Angular 2 or whatever version we're on now, right? Um, <laughs> we're talking about trusting safe values. And it looks like it's saying here, for example, sometimes apps generally need to include executable code like to display an iframe from some URL or construct something that could be potentially dangerous. But you know that you trust this particular thing. So they've got some features here that look like you can mark these particular values uh, with uh, the DOM sanitizer object, and it will then have methods on it like bypass security trust HTML or bypass security trust a URL. Uh, I wasn't aware that these were in here, actually. It's the first time I've actually read through this part uh, of this security document. This, are those probably things- a good thing. Can I just point out that I like the fact that it's the the default is to not trust the input and that exactly. you have to go in and say, okay, this this stuff, th- this is okay. It's like I knew we could turn these things on, but yeah, I didn't realize there were this many, like this level of granularity. It's not just like, hey, you know what? Make my site an open book. Um, no, it's like this specific thing you want to trust. And that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. So for the most part, you really don't want to use those things. I mean, there, there's probably some circumstances or use cases where you would. Um, I guess just one like off the top of my head, maybe you're building an online like, uh, you know, read print loop kind of thing where people have to put in code in your UI and you want to allow that, so you don't want Angular to kind of strip all like that out. Like you're writing bunker, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that, Yeah, right? but even mm. then, what what usually you wind up doing is you do some sanitation on it, and you only allow the bits that they act, actually need. And that way they're not, you know, reaching into other areas and compromising your security in other ways. I was going to ask, when you turn it off, is it, like, just for this template? Is it for... Like how how far does it go when you opt out of that? It's just for the specific thing. It looks like so you can inject it into a constructor of a component, and then whatever and that object uh, they call it the sanitizer has functions that you can then pass values to. So it's very specific on the values and things that you're allowing. So Brian, I got to ask: Did you write this example because it's exactly the opposite of what you just said? There's an example <laughs> about how to use sanitizer bypass security trust URL. And the thing right before it, the, the, the important JavaScript that they want to run in the browser that's not safe is an alert that says hi. <laughs> <laughs> so should I be bypassing security so I could use an alert box to say hi? No. So that's, that's exactly what I do for uh, my talk to demonstrate this type of vulnerability really. But no, that's not what you want to do. I'm being tongue in cheek. Obviously, you don't want to give somebody ideas of things they can do inside of a documentation though, right? Yeah. Hack your neighbors for fun and profit. Well, that, that's a common thing, right? Because uh, we're, we're both Brian and I are fans of Troy Hunt's uh, courses on Pluralsight and stuff that he does. And I talked with Troy a couple of years ago about how he puts examples together. And one of the things that's total common sense that he mentioned to me was it's hard to actually give examples sometimes of hacking things because you don't want to advertise ways for people to get into content, right? Mm. I mean, hackers are going to already know them already, but you don't want to tell the general public, hey, look how easy it is to go into this site and hack it. So you got to be careful in documentation not to put those kind of things in there um, and just make sure that they're all covered. Yeah, that's a good point. 
So Brian, what do you do when you when you design a site or an internal like enterprise type application? What kind of security concerns do you make sure are covered? Uh, well, so I'm looking for I'll look for things like in a code review, for instance, I'll look for things where they're uh, something as simple as the logs, right? They might log things like I've seen before. They'll log the entire request that comes in. And in that request, it's including things like the token that's used for authentication. Uh, and that's a huge no-no because anybody can get access to those logs potentially and then you know, capture that data and then use it to their advantage. Um, so I'm looking at things like logs. What are people logging? Make sure they're not logging anything sensitive like that, even personally identifiable information and whatnot. Um, what else? I'm looking to make sure they're doing these types of input checks um, to uh, ensure that nothing malicious is coming into the system that can be used as a, um, you know, an advantage point from attacker. And I'm also checking like how they're doing their authentication authorization. If they're doing authentication or how they're storing it, rather, if they're doing it with a JWT or whatever it may be, some unique identifier, if they're storing it in a cookie, I'm of the belief that that cookie should be one flagged as HTTP only, which means JavaScript cannot have any access to it. Uh, and that helps mitigate cross-site scripting vulnerabilities. Uh, and two, that it, it's uh, flagged as secure, which means it will the browser will only ever transmit it over the network uh, if the connection is using HTTPS. So if you're using HTTP, the browser knows, uh, you know, don't send this cookie because it'll be easily read over the network. Uh, and then... That's, yeah, that's about it. I don't know. I can keep going. Am I still on the call? Yeah, you're still no, here. No, you dropped. Okay. Nobody hears you. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just feel like, uh, you know, it's quiet. It got quiet there. No, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm listening because I'm fascinated. That yeah. There's so much I'm just to like, do. I'm wondering how you got into this. Like, I don't know. I, I've just never met anyone who was like, what are you passionate? I'm passionate about security and web applications. Like, so what do they was talk the, like that too, Alyssa? <laughs> that's, okay, Is that now, how I sound? John, that's exactly how Brian sounds. Yeah, that's the, that's the security <laughs> accent. There's a I southern accent, smart. a security accent. <laughs> oh, God. Did I do a southern accent? No. Okay, it was not on purpose. All right. So anyways, no, yeah, I'm Hold just. On. You're saying I have a southern accent? No way. No, <laughs> but you have a security accent. Yeehaw! It's a security accent. So yeah, you got to use a deep voice for security people. I got it. <laughs> that makes it more no. more secure. Oh man! But Brian, Brian, tell me, how did you get into like caring about this? Because not that it's not like the most exciting thing ever, but I just have never been passionate about this. And now that you, like hearing you talk about it makes me want to know more and like be able to do more. Because I can tell you actually care. So is there a story behind that? Or did you just stumble into security? Well, like, Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours. AngularBootcamp.com First, that's awesome to hear that it's my enthusiasm about it is helping kind of drive some enthusiasm for you. And that's, that's what I'm looking for. Um, for me, uh, what it really probably boils down to is I'm just paranoid, I'm severely paranoid kind of person. Uh, I think that's really it. I, I don't know. It's just something that I kind of 
me not trusting people and things in general, uh, it led me to, as I'm developing this stuff, well, how can I, how can I, well, not even trusting myself really. Right. So I'm building an application and I start looking into it. I'm like, how can I get to do something that I'm not supposed to do in this application? Right. How can I, I like to tinker basically. And that's mm. what it led, it led to. And that's kind of like, at least from what I've read, that's like the definition of hacker, not like what the media calls a hacker. Like a hacker is just somebody that likes to hack on something. Like you think hack nights, right? People are going to hack on a technology. Uh, and that's kind of where it derived from for me is that I just like to tinker with stuff and I'm paranoid. I love that. That's really cool. I like that it's something about your personality that drove you into that. So it's really neat. Yeah, and Brian's paranoid in a good way. I mean, I, I've known Brian for <laughs> several years now and I want to point out that uh, we work on the same team together, actually. And one of the things that uh, was really interesting about Brian when I met him was different than other developers is how much he did care about security or does care about it, uh, where most people kind of give a lip service. And he doesn't stop. It's like every time we implement something with security, I'm like, hey, are you done? And he's like, well, that works. But here, there's something else we have to do now. So it's, it's always like there's something else we've got to do, which in one sense is like, oh, my gosh, I have deadlines. But the other sense, it's like, wow, when we actually get this done, this thing is going to be like Fort Knox. And that's something that <laughs> I think is going to, is awesome because as a company, you don't want to be the next company that's hacked and is on the news. You really don't. Yeah. But I just think it's really neat that it comes from a genuine place. And like, I think that's honestly what makes all of us best at the things that we are best at is that it like naturally came about and you're just, I don't know. I love that. you. I love that John, you said that he's a good type of paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> if there is such a thing. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do want to ask because it seems like a lot of companies and a lot of developers is just like, well, you know, the system I'm using, you know, Rails or Express or, you know, whatever. Angular has some of these features built in that we've just discussed. So they're like, well, it kind of does it for me. And so I don't have to worry about security. And then the other thing that I... And, and, you know, we're saying, no, that's wrong. You need to be aware of what the exploits are and, and what people are looking for. But how do you develop that uh, security mindedness? How do you develop that, that practice of checking for security uh, on your team? Is it just, do you just have to hire somebody paranoid like Brian? Or do <laughs> you, you know, can you train your team to to check that stuff and make sure that it's working? Sort of like you train your team to, run a CI build and make sure all your tests pass. You know, what I would really, really like from this, Brian, is like a takeaway five-step program for security. If you could whip that up real quick. Sure, I'll get right on that. No, <laughs> no pressure whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, you've done some of this for us though, right? Like one thing we worked on was creating our own, like when people create their Angular applications, we want to make sure that people start with everything that's already secure. So we've actually written libraries for our own company that employ a lot of the practices that Brian's talking about right now, but they don't give them a chance to like, we don't say, hey, follow this document and do these things. We instead, we actually bake them into the code and put them under the covers and link them in through libraries, either through like NPM or something else. Uh, so that way they're just part of everyday life. Uh, so we try to take it out of the out of the purview of somebody who could um, say, you know what, this isn't important, and instead always bake it in uh, to everything that we do. And that's honestly, that's all something that Brian has been a champion of uh, with our stuff. Yeah, and, and the whole idea behind it is to kind of, well, like I was talking about before, is just make it more simple, 
right? Because security, I mean, even for me, I don't know everything in the in this space. I'm still learning a ton like about certificates and encryption and, and whatnot. And there's just so much there to learn in itself, let alone trying to get your application delivered and whatnot, right? So what we've tr- attempted to do, or and I think we're somewhat successful in doing, is baking that stuff in so that it's not... Uh, you get some level of security, at least just right off the bat, and then have some information around it to help uh, people read up on it and understand better what these things are doing and how it is protecting them. Yeah, and whether you use Node or ASP.NET or Java, all of those different technologies have forms to help you with security, obviously. Uh, if they didn't, that would be a problem. But uh, we use um, various things in our lives as developers and You've got to make sure that whatever your backend technology is, you're you're employing these things to help with like cross-site scripting. And there's a library that you introduced me to, Brian, which I never say the name right. Uh, so correct me here. Tell, tell me what Luska does for you. Uh, so Luska, and you are pronouncing it right, at least as far as I know. That's how I would pronounce it. Um, it's got a bunch of uh, sub-modules off of it that will do things like set up the, a lot of the security mitigations come through headers that for web development, at least come through headers that get sent to the browser and tell the browser like, Hey, this is how I want you to behave when you're working with my site. So Luska is a a library built by, I think it's Yahoo. Um, And it comes with these sub modules that will do things like set up um, the cross site scripting protection header or a content security policy header, things like that. Yeah, I just posted a link to Luska's uh, GitHub page here uh, for folks to check out. It's got a lot of interesting things here, like about cross-site scripting, as you mentioned, CSP. What's what's CSP, Brian? That's content security policy. So that's another header. And what it essentially does is it says it, it helps prevent cross-site scripting, for one. And it does so by saying, by telling the browser, like, any resources for this application that gets uh, that's needed when you go to request them, you're only allowed to request them from these locations. So like under my domain, for instance, like if I had brianclark.com I, and I'm loading JavaScript files, I can tell through this content security policy header, the browser, like only load, only load JavaScript files from my domain and not from any other domain, things like that. And what's HSTS? That's another thing Luska allows you to set. Uh, that is HTTP strict transport security. I'm, I might be messing that up. But essentially, that's telling the browser, hey, only when you communicate with me again, the only t- only way you should be communicating with me is through HTTPS, through a secure connection. Interesting. So there, there's so many things here that's like, wow, how do I make sure I don't allow images to be loaded off of Alyssa's home website on my website, for example? Uh, that's kind of like the CSP will do for you. And a lot of different options in here. It's uh, it's pretty fascinating. No, no, you're you're wrong, John. Me and CSP are good old friends. So everyone else's <laughs> website that won't work, but my AlyssaNichael.com, we're good. <laughs> and what's your password, Alyssa? Uh, <laughs> gotta go. <laughs> a little bit of social engineering here, huh? You know what? <laughs> have you seen that? Commercial. I think it was Jimmy Fallon. Oh, is this yeah. where you're gonna go, with John? Go, go yeah. for it. That's awesome. You're the one who showed <laughs> it to me. Was it Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel? Jimmy Kimmel, One he of did shows. some type of skit where he was talking to people about their passwords and then they were like, he was like, just describe what your password's about. And they'd be like, oh, it's my dog and it's my home address <laughs> or something like that. 
And then he'll be like, oh, that's cool. And he'll start acting like he's doing another conversation. But then he'll ask them like, oh, what's your dog's name? You know, and then what's your home address? And they like, <laughs> oh just give it up right then and there. Goodness. <laughs> I just found the link and put it in the show notes. It is oh, awesome. Oh, man. That is good. It's exactly oh. like that. They're just walking down the street like, what's your password? No, no, no. I'm not going to tell you. Oh. Oh, what's your dog? It's I use my dog on my birth year. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's your dog's name? Oh, it's Bauer. Oh, what's your birth year? Oh, 1973. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's like really so old. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but it, it's so true, and it catches like like four or five different people like this. It's like, oh my gosh. Oh, geez. <laughs> so I'm wondering, did we hit on all of the things like the talk that you were preparing, did we hit on all of the things that you're passionate about and that you mentioned in your security talk, or is there other points to it that we miss? Uh, I got to double check on that actually really quick. I know okay. we talk cross Can I ask scripting. about something while we're, while you're looking at that? Sure. And, Do sure. it. And that is, so a lot of people that you talk to them and you're like, yeah, you need to be aware of security and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, maybe they know about OWASP, but is there a good way to keep up on the latest exploits on the latest ways that people are getting around your security setup, either for your backend or for the way that you've structured your web app or the browsers that you're using? Is there a good way to just know that those things are issues so that you can mitigate them in your own apps as they're found? Yeah. So yeah. Um, well, some of them don't necessarily hit directly to what you might be working on. But something that I've been recently following, and I'm not a huge fan of the site, but it's been good resource for this, is Reddit. Reddit has a subreddit that's called NetSec, or NetSecurity, mm, right? Okay. N-E-T-S-E-C. And on there, people are posting new vulnerabilities that are coming out, like on a daily basis kind of thing. So you oh, can wow. kind of get a, you can get a feel of what's going on there. Uh, for Node in particular, uh, I subscribe to the NodeSecurity.io or the Node Security Project. And I'll get email notifications when they're, and that what that's essentially doing is it's looking at any NPM packages um, that have been discovered with vulnerabilities and it, it, it raises it up like, here's what happened. Uh, this is the patch version you need to go to in order to you know, uh, fix that vulnerability and get to a secure state for your application if you're depending on this dependency, things like that. Uh, so that's been really helpful to kind of get an idea of when something's going wrong, at least for node. And that's what I've been following along with there. That's awesome. I was also so going to ask about node or NPM packages in particular, and how do you know that they're safe to use? Yeah. The cool thing uh, that they have is the node security. It's nodesecurity.io. Um, and they have some tools that you can use and it's one's called NSP. So node security project. And you can actually hook that into like your build pipeline so that it, whatever, you know, your CI, you have a nightly, you know, integration test going on or something, you can have this part of that process and then it'll alert you of any vulnerabilities for the dependencies that uh, you currently have in your application, things like that. It's a really great resource and uh, I'm constantly going there to check things out. I just put That's links to all those things that Brian was rattling off, off the top of his head. So <laughs> there's links okay. will be in the show notes. Super That's cool. really like a better way. When I, I was first picking up Node, my friends taught me 
Um, they're like, just go on the repo and see how many people have like downloaded it. And then, you know, kind of base it off of that if it, it'll be good for you to use. So that is a little bit more of a <laughs> defined way than just looking at the number and being like, I think this is enough people using this. <laughs> yeah, because if 30 million people like something, it's got to be good, right? Ex- no, that is That's the exact right. mentality. <laughs> <laughs> so there are how many billion people on uh, Facebook? And they've, they've never had any security issues, so... <laughs> Uh, so one of the other things we we talked about cross-site scripting, cross-site request forgery. The other one that I blanked on was clickjacking uh, that is covered in the talk I do and is available in the vulnerable application that I have. So what is that? Like, you know, somebody drives by in a car while you're clicking and they take them for a ride? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm so, so tired that that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Don't click too much, Jimmy. You might get click jacked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mom. That was awesome. <laughs> that should be the slogan, you know? Like, don't click too much, Jimmy. Um, no, so it's really, it's actually an interesting way to uh, steal people's clicks, essentially, in their keystrokes, in that um, the typical approach is somebody will set up like an iframe in their attacker site, right? And that iframe actually loads up your site um, that'll have, let's say, a login form, right? And what I'll, or not even a login form. It'll have something that'll just do something malicious. So like in the example I have on this vulnerable app, it's going to delete all my data or something like that for my profile. And um, what I could do is if I load it into an iframe and I set the Z index, you know, doing some CSS tricks here to negative one. So it's actually behind anything else that I may put on the screen. And then I align other buttons and stuff over the button that I want you to actually click on. I essentially hijack your click and execute some other operation uh, that you weren't really intending on executing. So I would say like what, like like download or yeah, like download this or check out this YouTube video, you know, something like that. Right. And you might be interested in it. You're like, oh, this seems like fun. I want to waste some time. Let me watch this video. And you actually click on something that deletes all your data or whatever, right? Just as a contrived example, there, but something like that. So that's what clickjacking is doing. It's, it's taking the resources of your legitimate website and loading them in a hidden frame uh, on the attacker website. And then they trick people going to their site to execute things against your site uh, through that iPhone. Oh, it's against your site, not against them. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry if I didn't explain that very well. So let's say it was something like a bank site and there's a button in there that says transfer, you know, $1,000 to Alyssa. Mm -hmm. And what I would do is I would hide that button in the iframe for the bank site in my own site and I'll get you to transfer that money to me necessarily. So actually, no, the button would transfer the money to me, (laughs) to my account with my hard-coded account number or something, not Alyssa's account. I want to take money from Alyssa. Alyssa, you're going to come to my attacker site, you're not going to know that even though you're already logged into your bank site previously, that I loaded it in an iframe behind the scenes. And uh, I'm going to have you transfer $1,000 to me. Just but with something like that, the domain would have to be different, right? Like I would, you would see that it's not simple.com anymore, but it's Brian's dash simple.com or something, right? Like, wouldn't it be obvious in that way or not necessarily? Well, if you think it's hap- it's making that network request behind the scenes, so you're not going to see it, 
You're just going to oh, see the I button, see what you're saying. Oh, the okay. button that says watch this YouTube video or something, right? I see. Hey, Brian, this is kind of hard to follow. Could we try this example with $1,000 being transferred to uh, your account from Melissa's? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure, John. <laughs> we good to wrap up, guys? Yeah, I think so. I, I think ultimately I just want to uh, – if there was any point to be made here besides, hey, these are some of the ways that people are going to try and exploit your site, um, it's just – you have to be vigilant and you have to kind of stay on top of this stuff. And that's why it's important to, you know, pay attention to it and, and put it in as part of your process. Um, I think a lot of people are like, Oh, okay, well I've got my app done and now I'm going to go and make sure that there aren't any of these exploits in there. And instead what you need to be doing is doing things like code reviews or um, security reviews as part of your sprint, as part of your release process. Um, as a part of approving the feature so that at the end of the day, what happens is you wind up in that place where um, it's not at the end, oh, crap, we have all these vulnerabilities, but rather we've been checking this as we've been going. We haven't compromised any of the security that's built into Angular and whatever our back end is. And so, you know, we're set up nicely to not have uh, a major or embarrassing issue here. Yeah. I think the other, just to kind of add to that, I would say is none of this stuff is foolproof either, right? I mean, there are no guarantees in security. Um, so essentially what you're striving for is to be, to not be the lowest hanging fruit, right? You want to, you, you want to make sure that you're like the least vulnerable house on the, in the, <laughs> the least vulnerable fruit. It's like, it's like telling your kid, I don't want you to try to get first place. Just don't get last. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, from like uh, from a, from somebody who might be a thief, right? In your neighborhood, for example, at night, if they see a house that's got lights on and security system signs out front, uh, stuff like that. And there's a house right next to it that, you know, has a BMW parked in the front, has no lights on and no security system on it. Which one do you think they're going to go for? So it's kind of just like, don't draw attention to yourself. Try to do the things that reduce the risk as best as you can. And I agree with Brian. It's not like you can solve every problem with security, but you can, uh, every time you find one, you should patch it immediately. And this is something you should take seriously because just like your health, you don't want to risk these kind of things because the last thing you want to do is have a major security attack on your site. Yep. Yep. It should become part of your development routine, just like unit tests and just good coding practices. Security should be part of that conversation. Yes, yeah, so I think Ward was the one who said this uh, one time. We were talking with a customer who, um, with a person who was asking Ward and I for some advice. And the person was saying their business people were telling them, but wait, and I'll call the guy Fred, just changing names here. He said, but Fred said that we couldn't do this because we can't afford what it takes to be secure. And Ward said back to him, well, you better tell those people that they can't afford not to be secure. I mean, <laughs> it, that sounds awful coming out of someone's mouth, right? And when people say that out loud, I think they realize, um, well, that was silly. <laughs> you hope they realize. Well, yeah, I hope so. If not, give it the address of that site, you know? <laughs> no kidding. But But it is. I mean, yeah, a lot of people look at it as an extra expense as part of the process. But at the end of the day, what does it cost you to have 
that you know thousands of passwords lost or the you know in liability costs in people not trusting and therefore not buying whatever it is you're selling I mean all of these different things it's it's totally true all right well let's go ahead and do some picks um what what are picks <laughs> you pick Dude, something no, okay no like. seriously nobody explained this to me like ever i just had to like figure it out so oh. if he gets a definition i'm going to be mad <laughs> picks are what you do when you take a beer and you thrust it into your nostril. Oh, dude. <laughs> this episode, we're going to lose listeners because of John. Thanks, John. I blame John. You're welcome. Basically, right, we talk, a, it's a shout out a about stuff you like. Okay. What we usually do like? do like one technical, like, like I, I don't know what you guys do, but I do like one technical thing I like and then one non-technical thing I love. I generally base it off of how goofy Ward is feeling that day. Like, you know, so. No, you can't do that because he's always. Star Wars-y you want to go? <laughs> yeah. Is that a word? It's a word. It's now a word. It's a, it is. I haven't even brought up Star Wars and Brian, so. You should be proud of me. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Not that I have anything against Star Wars, but it usually involves picking on me about Star Wars. So that's why I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Alyssa, do you want to start us off with picks? Yes. So I have this game that is taking away all my stress and I highly suggest it. It's called Egg Inc. And it's on the Google Play Store and the App Store. Uh, so you have no excuse. It's free. Download it. And it's all about making the best chicken farm. And it's amazing. So, yes, that is my pick for today. Go and de-stress with some chickens. Wait, 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 wait. What do you do with the chickens to de-stress? <laughs> like you you make like you 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 like buy the chickens and then like you just like make bigger and bigger farms. Like right now, my chickens have an egg Kia to live in. It's like an Ikea, but an egg Kia. There are tons of puns in this game. It's the best. <gasps> Download it now. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's like all about, have you ever played, uh, it was a profitability game. It's all about like seeing how fast you can make money with your chickens. You ever played a game like that? Or you're like, just keep leveling up and start over from ground zero. But with multipliers, no, none of you, none of you are gamers. Uh, I'm a gamer. Games, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I play I games, that. but no. Okay. All right. Just download it. Download it. It's free, guys. Like, play for like two seconds. If you hate the chickens, then delete it. All right. Just, just try it. Trust me. I'm so, just yes. imagining Alyssa sitting there at work. <laughs> Playing with chickens on her phone. <laughs> yeah, no, like you have it, you know, running in the running over here on the side. You got your computer, and then you know, every now and then, check on your chickens, and then back to work. It's it's very soothing. I'm just, John, anyways. I'm, I'm surprised you're not more into it because your go-to like example is always dead chickens or something. Yes. Oh, yes, exactly. What? Yeah, tell them about this, John. John, sure. I've so, been to your workshops before. There were no dead chickens. <laughs> you were looking hard enough. <laughs> so my daughter, who I, I help with math quite a bit, she she struggles with attention uh, like any kid does with homework. And the way I get her to pay attention to math is, you know, we'll be sitting there talking about, okay, you've got 22 red balloons and 13 blue balloons. And then why does Lulu have this many balloons? And it's like, oh, 
<laughs> so my daughter, what I do is I put in, a, okay, if I've got five dead chickens and you oh have my two goodness. dead chickens, how many dead chickens do we have together? She's like, you seven. You liven things up with dead poultry. I That's need to do this. <laughs> she I, loves it. My, my son is, well, he, d- he does an online charter school, so he's basically homeschooled. And yeah, this would totally work with him. Thank you, John. Well, the best part Get out is of here. we got a tutor for my daughter, like an official tutor. And El- my daughter, Ella, started talking to her about this. And the tutor like looked at me like, you're insane. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm sad that you have yet to create like a dead chickens angular workshop or, you know, maybe even a tutorial online. Just something like you need to share this with the world, John. It could, be a, it could be a great tagline like you can't be chicken to join or something like that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that sounds. To make good. an omelet, you have to break a few eggs. Oh, oh my! The puns. Oh, All right, okay, guys. So, anyways, back to back to other picks. Did, did we get John's picks? I don't uh, no, but I'll, I'll go quick here. So, I've got one technical pick. It's uh, I put it in the list already for the links. Mr. Clark, who we're speaking to, actually has a couple of courses on Pluralsight. One of them is titled oh, "Where the Heck Did It Go." Getting started with Node.js security with Express and Angular by Brian Clark. And it's a good course. So it's short. It's only an hour and a half. Uh, be the best 93 minutes you've ever spent in your life. Uh, Brian guarantees it. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and then my second Com- comes is- with a dead chicken's back guarantee, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my second pick, as Brian knows, I have gotten back on the workout train uh, lately, last couple of weeks, and I just started a new one last week. Uh, I was switching things up. It's called Core de Force, and it's pretty cool. There's lots of them out here like this, but it's effectively like MMA and Muay Thai and other kinds of um, activities that you can do to effectively uh, get in shape, and I'm enjoying it. My wife's doing it with me, too. It's uh, been a lot of fun. Ooh. Nice. So, Alyssa, you said something else that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, sorry. I have a second pick, and it's by Justin Schwarzenberger. He did a blog post titled, A NG Cruise Value Proposal, Why You Should Be on the Boat. And I'm so excited. I don't know if we've you know talked to death about NG Comp or NG Cruise, but I'm so excited about NG Cruise. And this blog post was just perfectly hilarious. So check it out. And if you're on the fence about getting on the boat, definitely join. So yes, that is all. All right. Uh, I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks. Um, I think I talked about it before, but this is the first week where I've actually had it in my office. um, Something that I can use. And uh, it's kind of hard to show off on the podcast, even though all of the podcast equipment is sitting on my desk. Uh, but I just got some new desks from autonomous.ai and uh, I saw them at CES and I, I think I mentioned them on a previous episode just because I liked what they had. But I actually set these desks up in my office and hauled the other desk out, um, which actually significantly reduced my desk space. But also um, it, it it solved a few other issues for me. These desks are the kind with the motor in them that go up and down. Um, this particular model is 299 and um, anyway, I had one of the IKEA Lifehacker standing desks sitting on the old desk. And so I kind of c- combined all of the monitor stands and monitors. So I've got like a four monitor set up right in front of me, which is really kind of fun. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I couldn't get wow. the picture to post to Twitter, but it went on Facebook, if you're curious. Um, and I'll, I'll post it to the Adventures in Angular um, page, so you can see it on there if you want. But yeah, it's it's been way fun to just be able to do it. My kids come in and they're like, Dad, make the desk go up. And so I'll, uh, I'll push the button and it'll go up and down. Um, I tried doing it on the podcast and nobody could actually hear it. So uh, I could hear it because I'm sitting next to it, but... Anyway, so uh, nice stuff. Um, works great. Um, and the guys from that company are really cool. I got to talk to them for a little bit at CES. So um, definitely go check that out if you want. Um, like I said, I got the cheapest model, which is the 299 model. Their most expensive model actually has an iPhone app and some AI built into it. So it'll learn your habits and then adjust for you automatically. So Okay, it- I have to ask, why did you buy two standing desks? Isn't that like the opposite purpose because the point is to be able to go up and down like do you leave one up and one down or what so what's so on this one it has my um my computer equipment and my monitors and stuff but um i i have a morning routine that i do and i sometimes i want to sit for it sometimes i want to stand for it and i'm kind of setting everything up on the other desk for that oh okay so it's more like Wait, so you might actually have one up and one down at the same time? Yes. So you could have just bought like a tall desk and then a standing desk or a short desk and a standing desk. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love I it. I think you're realizing it now, aren't you? <laughs> That's okay. I'm, I'm pretty Chuck, happy you with missed it. the boat, man. You totally missed the boat. I'm on their website. They have robots. You can buy a robot from that company. That's oh, awesome. Man, does yeah. it like does it like talk and stuff? No, I don't know. It says clone yourself, get more done. I'm I'm all on board. Nice. They they also have um, ergonomic chairs if you're into that. So, ooh, autonomous. Yep. I'm gonna have to check that out. All right. Well, um, yeah, that's pretty much my pick. Uh, Brian, what are your picks? Uh, so for the techie one, I'd probably say the Raspberry Pi. I've been having fun tinkering with that, and if you're somebody that likes to tinker as well, uh, you're missing out if you don't have a Raspberry Pi. Uh, and then the other non-techie one, but still kind of techie, is the TV show Mr. Robot on USA Network. I love that show. Uh, there's two seasons. The first season, I think, was better. But it's if you're into hacking and tinkering and all that kind of stuff, um, it's a good good show to watch. Is, it's interesting. Is this available streaming, or is it like a you-must-have-cable kind of thing? Um. That is a good question. I watched the first season on uh, Amazon Prime, and then season two I DVR'd. Gotcha. Uh, Gotcha. But it should be on Amazon Prime as well. So yeah, it's a cool show. And all the stuff that they do in that show is like they've done their research, and you can actually do that kind of stuff. Like if you look closely. This is like the second time I've heard about it, so I have to go watch it. Hey everybody, this is Charles Maxwood. I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about JS Remote Comp. Uh, We just picked speakers. Things are looking really good. And uh, we're really excited to cover a broad range of topics for JavaScript developers. So if you're looking to learn things about Node.js, about becoming a better developer, about deployment, about mobile development, and much more, and much more about JavaScript, then come check us out, jsremoteconf.com. You can also find it by going to devchat.tv slash conferences and then picking the conference you want. We have last year's recordings there. We have this year's uh, conference coming up. So make sure you get your ticket and we'll see you there. 
So, Brian, if people want to follow you on Twitter or read a blog or check out what you're doing on GitHub, where do they go? Uh, my blog slash site is at clarkio.com. And my Twitter handle is underscore Clark IO. And that's right. where I'm usually at. Sounds great. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up and we'll catch everyone next week. Cool. Thanks for having me. 